You are listening to a message from First Assembly of God. We are a church on a mission to restore everyone, everywhere to a loving and holy God. If today's message inspires you in any way, would you consider sharing it with a friend? This is just one of the many ways that you can be a part of what God is doing here at First Assembly. One thing that that's Christmas that I'll do like any time of year. I love this movie. It's such a great movie. I can remember seeing this movie for the first time when honestly I was younger than Kevin in the movie. And I watched this movie, it was so awesome. And year after year I watched this movie and now as I see this movie as an adult with kids, I think my kids might have to be grown up, married, out of the house before I let them watch this movie. And the reason is because I'm a little afraid of the curiosity that they might have from this movie. I mean, if you were to tell somebody who, you know, hasn't seen this movie, so if I, if I talk about this movie today and I spoil it for you, I, I don't think I'm sorry. I think we're out of the no spoiler alert window, right? I mean, this movie's a, a little, you know, it's been 30 years, but it's a great movie. And if you're telling somebody about this movie, you're probably going to tell them about how it's this boy who's like protecting his house from these, the wet bandits, right? These guys that are robbing all the houses on the street. And when they get to Kevin's, well, it ain't happening, right? And I remember watching this movie and feeling like, just like Kevin kind of did in the movie, when my dad went to work, when my parents were gone, this is my house. I have to protect it, right? And I remember feeling that, and this movie, I mean, it really got my curiosity up. I remember getting in trouble because when my parents came home, there was a nail on the stairs going to the basement. I remember putting my matchbox cars at the bottom of the stair coming from our second floor. I remember tying a can to the banister to fling over the stairs to hit somebody if they're coming upstairs. We didn't have paint cans in the house, so I used what I could find. It was an empty Coke can in the recycle bin. I thought, hey, it might work. I remember putting water, pouring water, trying to get the hose to spray down our outdoor stairs so that they would become ice. My parents were really mad about that one. And I think it was the grace of God that we didn't own a blowtorch. It probably would have not gone well. But I remember putting a hairdryer thinking, if, okay, if I can get this hairdryer to turn on, maybe if somebody comes in, they'll turn around and, and leave, right? I remember doing all this crazy stuff because I had to protect my house. We didn't need ADT, parents. You've got Ryan. I've seen Kevin. I saw what he did. We'll be okay. And yet, when we watch Home Alone and when we get past the silly, fun elements of the movie, I mean, it is that part, right? Those guys coming into Kevin's house. Remember as a kid, I'd rewind that. That's right, I had this on VHS. I'd rewind those parts and watch them over and over again. But isn't the movie really about more than just those scenes when Harry and Marv are in the house, right? I mean, if you think about it, I mean, why is Kevin alone? Well, remember back in the beginning of the movie, I mean, the family's getting ready to go to Paris. It's a trip that they didn't pay for. Dad's brother's covering the cost. They've got all the family there. There's 15 people in the house. How many of you know when your family's all together, it can get a little crazy, right? And they're trying to eat together, and Kevin comes in, and he's mad because his brother Buzz ate all his cheese pizza. I don't know about you. You take my pizza, I might get a little upset, right? And Kevin gets upset, and he starts this whole feud, and we know the movie. Mom drags him says, you're going up to the third floor tonight. 
And we see this part where Kevin turns and says, man, I wish I didn't have you guys. I wish you guys were gone. Man, if you were gone, I'd have peace, or at least a piece of cheese pizza. Man, I wish you guys were gone. Then I'd feel peace. And we know what happens, right? Kevin goes up to the third floor, big storm, the power goes out, the phone lines are down, and then Kevin walks down in the morning to an empty house, doesn't he? And he looks around and Well, let's take a look at this clip of what happens when he comes to the kitchen. Check this out. I made my family disappear. Kevin, you're completely helpless. No, Kevin, you're what the French call les incompetents. Kevin, I'm going to feed you to my tarantula. Kevin, you are such a disease. There are 15 people in this house, and you're the only one who has to make trouble. Look what you did, you little jerk. I made my family disappear. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I mean, here's a moment where Kevin thinks, man, it worked. My family's gone. I made them disappear. Now I'll have peace. But we've seen the movie, right? I mean, does Kevin really experience peace? He thinks he's got it, but he doesn't understand that coming up is these guys that are robbing the neighborhood and he's going to have to protect his house. He's going to have to figure out how to take care of this house. And throughout the movie, we find that Though he wanted his family to disappear, he realized that, man, I actually need my family. To feel peace, I've, I've got to be with my family. That moment, Kevin thought, man, I'm going to experience peace. They're gone. Well, what he really experienced is chaos, right? When he thought, if I could just do it my way, there'd be peace. But yet, really, it led him to chaos. And Kevin realizes in the movie that the gift he's been given is actually his family. And Christmas reminds all of us of the gift that God has given to us all. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn to, turn on, head to the book of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And this is our key passage that we are looking at throughout this series, and just want to encourage you, if you have an elementary child or even a grandchild that's in elementary, they're learning this verse together too. Encourage you, memorize this verse as a family, memorize this verse. This is an important verse for us to be reminded of in the Christmas season of the gifts that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, can we say it together? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're reminded in Christmas of the gift we've been given. Our Savior is born, Emmanuel, Christ with us. Last week we talked about how Jesus is our Wonderful Counselor. And together today, we're going to talk about how Jesus is our Prince of Peace. 
Christmas reminds us that Jesus came to bring peace to us all. He's our Prince of Peace. It's amazing to me that we talk about peace in the season of Christmas. I mean, if you know anything maybe about Advent, you've had an Advent calendar or, or really anything about Christmas, peace comes up. I've got a sign at my door, doorway that says peace, right? I mean, peace is a huge part to Christmas, but yet doesn't this season seem so often like the most unpeaceful time of the year? I mean, our calendars are the fullest they've probably been all year. Our Amazon cart is the fullest it's been all year. You try to go out and you're like, where did all these cars come from? Everybody's out. You go to the store. The parking lot's full. The store is crazy. In a season where we're talking about peace, we have things like Black Friday Christmas shopping. Some of you maybe did that. I worked too many years in retail apparel to know you don't go out during Christmas, right? You walk into the dressing room, there's like knee high and clothes. You're like, whoa, does anybody put anything back? The lines are all the way to the back of the store. People are arguing. How is this a season of peace? It seems so unpeaceful. When we talk about peace and the season of Christmas and we talk about gathering as our, with our families and how, how can I experience peace if I got to get together with my siblings, my parents, my in-laws? But man, this just seems so unpeaceful in a season where God wants to remind us that he is our prince of peace. Well, what's important for us to begin to understand together is that God's peace is different than the peace the way the world views it. God's peace is different than the peace from the world's point of view. See, God's peace is more than just everybody getting along. Hey, you don't agree with us? Okay, can we just like agree to disagree? Can we just, you know, have peace together? God's peace is different than just everybody getting along. God's peace is more than just going through a time where there's no war. God's peace is different from the way the world views peace. He's our prince of peace. The Hebrew word shalom is what we need to look at. Shalom means harmony, wholeness, and completeness. See, God's peace brings us harmony. He's our prince of peace to bring us in harmony with God. He's our prince of peace who makes our life whole. He's our prince of peace who completes us. It's God's peace that completes you And it's God's peace that completes God's plan for mankind. If you've got your Bibles with you, uh, can you turn with me to the first book of the Bible, which we know is Genesis, right? And in Genesis chapter 1, the first passage in God's word, we're told about how Everything we see and have come to know was created by God, right? Genesis 1 tells us God created the heavens, the earth, the sky, the land, the water, the sun, moon, stars, the plants, the trees, the birds, the fish, the animals, and people. God created all things. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 we're told as God stepped back and saw all that he created, he said, it is good. Can you say good? Good. He said, it is good. What does that mean? 
That means that to God, when he created all things and said it was good, it was complete. It was whole. It was in harmony with him. When God created all things and people in Genesis 1 and 2 were told that people could be in harmony with God, they could be in his presence, they could see him face to face. And to God, that was perfect. It was good. His work was complete. His peace could be known. In my Bible, I have to turn one page to Genesis 3. So we're literally like not even a page into the Bible and we know what happens, right? People decide, okay, this is the direction God wants us to go. This is who God wants us to be. You know what? We're going to go this way. And how many of us know when we go a different way than God, it usually doesn't end well, right? And Genesis 3, right in the beginning, shows us as sin, the Bible calls it, comes into the world. Sin, it's not just doing something that God tells us not to do. It's anything apart from God. And sin came into the world, the Bible says, and it brought disharmony. It made God's people in discord from him. Sin separates us from God. Sin brings chaos into our lives. I mean, if you read these pages and you read the stories of God's people, when their eyes were on him, they were able to experience his peace. But every time they took their eyes off him and went their way, they experienced chaos. See, why sin serious? It brings chaos in our life, yes, but it also puts us in disharmony with God. But what I want you to begin to see today is that from the moment of Genesis 3, the moment that sin came in, all these pages tell us a story. It's kind of like Home Alone. Walk with me for a moment. Kevin is back home. Mom and dad, all the other family members are in the plane. Mom and dad are riding first class. We didn't pay for it. Let's eat the meal. Let's get some extra dessert, right? And all of a sudden, mom begins to feel a little restless, like, I, I think we forgot something. And she's talking to her husband, and they're like, oh, we forgot to close the garage door. She's like, oh, man, that just, I think we really forgot something. And you're watching the movie, and you're like, you forgot Kevin. How do you forget a child? Now that I've got multiples, I'm like, all right, no judgment, mom. No judgment. <laughs> But let me ask you this. The moment mom realizes that she left Kevin, how does she respond? I mean, she's in first class. She didn't pay for it. Does she go, oh, I forgot Kevin. You know what? I'm going to have that extra meal, bring some extra ice cream, or can somebody give me a massage, or I'm going to kick back a nap. There's nothing I can do up here. Kevin, I hope you can make it. Was that her response? No, the moment she realized she left Kevin, her response is, man, I've got to get back to my son. They're calling from the plane. The phone lines are down. The plane lands. She's like, I got to get on a flight. I'll do standby. I got to get home to my son. She's flying all over. Gets to the point where she gets in a van with the Kenosha kickers, that polka man, and they're singing their way all the way. She is in pursuit to get to her son. And friends, can I tell you something? From the moment that we were in disharmony with God, 
Genesis chapter 3, all these pages tell us the story of how God has been in pursuit of you and all of us. He wants to pursue all of us so we can experience his peace. Isaiah tells us that the Lord has made himself known even to those who aren't looking for him. God is in pursuit of everyone, all of us. He wants us to experience his peace. But we have to understand something. If God is in pursuit of us, if the scriptures tell us our God says, draw near to me, the scriptures tell us God says, come to me, what we begin to understand and we need to realize is that the reason we don't feel God's peace, well, it's not because God is the problem. The Bible says he's pursuing us. Well, Ryan, you don't understand my life. You don't know what we're going through right now. You don't understand my past. But yet the Bible says, our God says, come to me, all of you who have heavy loads, and I'll give you rest. Cast your burdens on me. I care for you. God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The problem of why we don't feel God's peace is not God. It's not our circumstance. May I tell you what the Bible teaches? It reminds us that the problem of why we don't feel God's peace is us. It's you. It's me. It's us. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ. We know the story. Christ was born unto us. He lived a sinless life. He selflessly gave his life for us on the cross so sins could be taken care of. We could be forgiven. We could be brought back into harmony with God. We know Christ died. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. And our hope is God's children as we know he's coming back for us. Amen? Amen? But the truth is, God's not the problem. It's not our circumstance. He's with us even in the midst of the storm and when we're in the valley. The problem is what 2 Timothy reminds us. That in this time from Christ's ascension till he comes again, the Bible tells us that if we're not careful, we become lovers of our self. We become lovers of our self. We can't live this life for us. That was never God's intention. In fact, we've got to be reminded of what is said to us in 2 Corinthians 5, 15. Listen to this. It says, and he died for all. Say all. He died for all. Whether you've been in church for a long time or whether you're here today and you're surprised this building didn't collapse, you feel so far from God, hear this. God is in pursuit of you, and Christ died for all. Christ died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. As Christ's followers, we're called to live for him, not for us. And if we want to experience God's peace, we have to rid ourselves of ourself. We've got to empty ourselves. It can't be about us. 
Because we're called to live for him, the God who gave himself for us. We're called to give ourselves to him. I love what John chapter 3, verse 30 says. Because I bet if I asked how many of us need more God, many of us would say yes. In fact, may I raise both my hands? I need more God. And what we're reminded of in this verse is that for us to have more God, for us to experience his peace, well, he must become greater in our life, which means I must become less. He must become greater, greater, and I must become less, less. John 3.30. Can we say that together? He must become greater, greater. I must become less, less. For us to experience God's peace, he's calling us to live selflessly, not selfishly. And in order to do that, It's giving our life to him, saying, God, we want more of you, which requires what that verse says, less me. Is your life more God or more you? For us to experience his peace, it's got to be more him, which says to us, it needs to be less about you. And what I love about our God is when he tells us something, he also shows it, doesn't he? And we're reminded year after year at Christmas when we look at our manger and we see the whole thing set up and yet in the middle there's this baby in a feeding trough and we're reminded at Christmas that our God who is holy set apart, he left his holiness to come be with us and bring peace. For hundreds of years, God's people are told the Messiah is coming and God's people who were in oppression, who were in the valley, who had some difficult moments like all of us, right? They know the Savior is coming. And they're thinking, man, we can't wait. We know when he comes, he's going to bring peace. We know he's going to throw down the government, right? The government's going to be on his shoulder. Oh, wait till the Messiah gets here. He's going to throw down things. He's going to bring us peace. But yet we see this holy God who's selfless step out of holiness to come down and be amongst us as a baby in a feeding trough. I mean, this is the the Prince of Peace. Shouldn't we roll out the red carpet? And yet he comes in the midst of a feeding trough around filthy animals, right? And Luke chapter two really lays out this story for us. As Jesus is born, You'd think that this great news, well, if the Savior is here and for hundreds of years people have been waiting, don't you think the pastors should be the first to know? I mean, this is the Prince of Peace. Don't you think this should be in the Bethlehem paper? Don't you think this should hit Instagram? And yet, this selfless baby, God chooses to come. And this message first goes to a group of shepherds. Really? Shepherds? The guys who hang with filthy animals? Really? The people that when Jesus was born were looked down upon, outcasts? The people who when Jesus was born, when they'd come to church, were said, hey, you guys are kind of unclean. They weren't always welcome because they worked with filthy animals. Don't miss this. 
The message of Christmas, God's pursuit of us, Christ with us, Christ's death is for all people. Amen? Every nation, every language spoken, whether we feel close to God, far away, all people. And he shows us this at Christmas. And then this angel's talking to this group of shepherds. He's saying, today your Savior is born. You'll find a baby in a feeding trough in Bethlehem. He has come to bring peace to those who please God. Luke chapter 2. And the angels praise God and they leave and the shepherds look at each other and say, we got to go to Bethlehem. And verse 16 of chapter 2 in Luke says that quickly they went to Bethlehem and found Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And they told everybody what had happened. They worshiped the baby. They said everything the angels said. And then when they went back to their sheep, they proclaimed what they had heard and they praised God. Don't miss this, this peaceful moment. Our Prince of Peace has come. And this message to the shepherds is something that we should consider this together. If we want to experience God's peace, let's take a look for a moment. How did the shepherds respond to the message of God? The message of the Prince of Peace being born. When they heard it, they were quick to respond to the message of Jesus. Friend, maybe why you're struggling to experience God's peace is because week after week you hear God's message in a sermon, you hear God's message in scripture, and yet some of us are very slow to respond. Some of us, God has been speaking about sin patterns in our life, things we need to deal with, and we've been dragging our feet, and we wonder why we don't experience the peace of God. May we be like the shepherds, and when God speaks to us, God help us to be quick to respond to you and be obedient to you. God help us to be quick. We're thankful for God's grace, amen, that he's with us when we're not quick But if we want to experience his peace, may we be quick to respond to the message of Christ. He's our prince of peace. The shepherds were quick to respond, and they searched till they found him. But the angel had given them description. It wasn't like the shepherds got to Bethlehem, and they're like, hey, is this Jesus? Or how about that baby? Uh, This one looks kind of like it. Is this Jesus? No, didn't the angel gave him a very good description, right? you'll find a baby wrapped in cloth lying in a feeding trough. They knew what they were looking for. What we're reminded is Christ has made himself known to all of us. In his word, he's made himself known to all people. My question to you is, are you searching for him? Because maybe you're not feeling peace because you're looking for other things that void that's in you that you're trying to fill, right? If I, man, if I can just marry the right person, I'll feel fulfilled. Oh, okay, you know what? Maybe if we have a couple kids, I'll be fulfilled. Man, that, that didn't work as I had thought. You know what? Okay, I'm gonna throw myself into my career. Then I'll be fulfilled. Oh, man, why isn't this working? Oh, wait, I know. It's, I gotta be in all these hobbies and pursue all this other stuff, this material stuff, and we wonder why we're not filled. And the reason is, Christmas reminds us that the only thing that can fill that void within you is 
our Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. He can be found. Are you looking for him? The shepherds were quick to respond. They searched and they found him. And what did they do when they found him? The scriptures don't tell us that they got there. I mean, they've been waiting hundreds of years. And they get to this moment and they're not like, oh, it's just a baby. I mean, babies are cute, but it's a baby. And he's in a feeding trough. All these animals, it's, man, this is, this is it? No, that's not what the shepherds did. They worshiped him for who he was, the newborn king, the prince of peace, the savior, Christ with us. They worshiped him. And maybe you don't have God's peace. You're not experiencing that because, well, are you really worshiping him for who he is? You know, the shepherds didn't need, I got to have my favorite song playing in the background so that I'll worship. They were you know, around a feeding trough with animals, but it didn't matter to them. They could worship him. We can worship Christ, yes, at church, but we can worship him outside of here, amen? Are you worshiping Christ for who he is, the one who can bring us peace, the one who gave his life for you? Shepherds were quick to respond. They searched till they found. They worshiped. And then after that moment, right, we all got to go back to our lives. When they went back to their sheep, they proclaimed the message of God and they praised him. And maybe why you don't experience God's peace is, are you proclaiming the message of Christ with your life? as Jesus commands us to proclaim his message, not just with our words, but with our lives. How can we feel God's peace if we're a different person here at church than we are at work or at our home? We are called in every area of our life to proclaim that he is the prince of peace, the one true God. That's what the shepherds show us, to experience God's peace. We're quick to respond to the message of Christ. We search till we find. We worship him and we proclaim the message of the Prince of Peace. God wants all of us to experience his peace. Every single one of you. In fact, John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus speaking says, Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, God's peace, the Bible says, goes beyond our understanding. God wants to give you peace. He wants to bring you back into harmony with him. He wants to make your life whole. He wants to complete his work within you. He wants none of us to have an uncertainty within us of who we are in him. In fact, D.L. Moody, a great evangelist in the 1800s, spent a lot of time in the city of Chicago, had a quote that says, there cannot be peace where there is any uncertainty. There can't be peace where there is any uncertainty. And God desires that none of us are 
uncertain of who we are in him. I remember going to church for the first time as a four-year-old. And I loved going to Sunday school because, well, they had lemonade and cookies. And if you wonder why we give snacks in the toddler and preschool room, well, that's why. It, it gets them back, right? And I would want to go. I would, Mom, I want to go to Sunday school. And I'd go and I'd hear all these awesome stories, these great Bible stories. I grew up going to a Christian school where every single day the Bible was taught to me. I knew a lot about God, yet I wonder if some of you today feel like how I used to feel. Even though I knew a lot about God, every night when I'd put my head on the pillow before I'd close my eyes, there was uncertainty inside me. Man, am I right with God? And I wasn't sure. I wasn't experiencing his peace. And I remember at 20 years old, I didn't want to feel that way anymore. I remember thinking and praying and thinking, man, okay, God selflessly gave his life for me. See, I'd spent so many years, okay, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you to be part of it. I want to, I want to follow you. But it was this thought that, okay, Christ has given his life for me. And I transitioned and said, okay, God, I give my life to you. You gave your life for me, so I give my life to you. And friends, can I tell you, from that moment, there has never been a doubt. There's never been any uncertainty inside me of who I am in God. He is the giver of peace, our prince of peace, who wants to complete your life, make you whole, bring you back into harmony with him. As we begin to respond together, I want to begin with a simple question. Does Christ have your life? Does Christ have your life? See, in order to experience the peace of God, we have to give him our life. To start the journey of being a Christ follower, we believe in God for who he is and what he's done for us. He died on the cross for our sins so that we could be in harmony with God. But as Christ followers, our job is to have more God, less us. And that happens when we empty ourselves and give our lives to him. Does Christ have your life? Maybe you're with me today and you've never given your life to Christ. Or maybe over the years today you would respond to that question and say, man, I've got a lot more of my life recently. Does Christ have your life? Together, if we could bow our heads and close our eyes, I want to give you an opportunity to respond And I've tried to say this enough to say that God is in pursuit of all of us, all of us in this room. Christ died for every single one of us in this room. And this is what I know. The Bible tells us that God hears all of us in this room when we pray. And together, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God to that question. Does Christ have your life. 
that voice that's within you, that your neighbor and the person next to you is not gonna hear. God hears it. He knows what we're thinking. I wanna just invite you to begin to respond. Maybe it's that simple thought of, God, I give you my life. It's been a lot about me. God, I want, I want more of you. I want you in my life, so I give you my life. God, I empty myself before you. God, I want more of you, which I know requires less me. God, help me to be selfless. I give you my life. God, forgive me of my selfishness. I believe in Christ, that he's God. I believe that Christ went to the cross and paid the price for sin for all people so that I could be in harmony with you and experience your peace. If you could look up here together. Again, if you're here today and you'd say, I I wanna follow Christ, it starts with that belief of Jesus is who he says he is and he did what we know he did. He is who he is and we know that he died on the cross for us. It starts with believing He did the work, we believe. But when we believe as children of God, we live a life that says, God, more you, less me. Because if it's about us, is there any room for God to give us peace? So every day we empty ourselves so that God can fill us. We say, God, more you, less me. Today, if you've decided to follow Christ, to give him your life. Can I challenge you and encourage you to tell somebody? Whether it's the person that you came with or the person next to you or you go out to our connecting point and you tell one of our team members there or you come up for prayer and tell one of our team members here, tell somebody. It's the greatest decision that you could ever make to follow Christ. And we wanna celebrate with you We want to encourage you. We want to answer any questions you may have. We want to help you as you begin this journey of following Christ, and we would like to pray with you. But if you've decided today, I'm giving my life to Christ, whether it's for the first time or you know you've been holding on, it's been a lot of you, less God, more you, and today you say, no, I give my life to Christ, tell somebody. But together, I want to give us a chance to respond one more way because we've been saying that if we want to experience God's peace, well, it requires more God, which we know requires less us, right? And today, maybe as you've been listening, there's something that comes to your mind that you've been holding on to, that if you look, you would say that, man, my life has really been more me, less God, And we're called to empty ourselves. We're called to let go, to give our lives. What's holding you? What's making your life more you, less God? Is it that relationship that's struggling? You've been trying to figure it all out? Is it the financial problem, the health diagnosis, the child that's far from God? What is it that's keeping you from experiencing more God in your life. We're called to empty ourselves so that we can make room to experience more of God, which allows us to experience his peace, his harmony, his wholeness, and it allows him to complete the work that he desires within us.
So if we could bow our heads and close our eyes, and I want to invite you, just like I did earlier, to begin to pray. And again, begin to give that to God. God, I empty myself before you. God, my life has been more me, less you. So God, I, I, I give myself to you. I give this to you that's keeping me from allowing more of you in my life. Father, we thank you for who you are. The God who continually pursues us. The God who has so much grace. You never give up on us. God, we thank you for that. We thank you that Christ died for us so that sin would be no more for those who believe in Christ, but we would be brought back into harmony with God. That no longer would we be bound by our sins or the things that that keep us from God or the things that, that fill us up, but God, you have the power to give us peace that we can empty ourselves and you fill us up with more of you which allows us to be whole and complete. So God, we thank you for that. May you be more in our life and God, would you help us to make ourselves less, we pray. God, help us to be selfless, not selfish. God, help us to live for you. Thank you that we can experience your peace. You are our Prince of Peace. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you got a lot out of today's message and that you'll share it with a friend. To stay connected with what's happening here at First Assembly, be sure to go to the App Store and type in 1AGBN to download the app. Remember, God's created you for a great purpose. Now go and live it out today.